Um, oh, Roman, well. I'm, I'm curious. Did you work today? You're in a button up. Usually you're in a robe unless you've just come from work. <clears throat> uh, well, yeah, I work every Sunday. Sunday. Uh, yeah, Sunday is the end of my work week. Okay. I can't remember my girlfriend's work week that I live yeah. with. So I, I, don't, I don't know anyone's work week. Came home and had dinner and then took a nap. That's why I didn't respond to your text. I was asleep. <laughs> well, I'm glad I texted you or I'm glad that you woke up um sexual healing sexual healing did you read x-men 20 yes big scary pink facebook i did nimrod nimrod um it's because of x-men that i found out that nimrod which i always thought was just an insult is actually a character from the bible Hmm. wow there you go there that is (laughs) (laughs) his name's nimrod that's just like it is not an intimidating name no Perfectly Acceptable Podcast, episode 227. It's the Comics Places comic podcast. It's a comic show. It's a comic podcast about comic books by people that love them. I dropped a pen in the middle of that and caught it. Didn't skip a beat. And that's why they call me Jeff. No, they call me Mixmaster Jeff. He can he can drop a pen and the mic and not miss a beat. And join with me, as always, is the, uh, the, funky, the funky Flash crew. My buddies. You know, this is Roman, by the way. You know where they're really good at catching pens and dropping dropping beats and mics? Prison. Maryland, oh. which is 227. I don't know why we have this continuing joke. I don't really get it, but 227 <laughs> is Maryland. Well, we're going to segue from your comment into something else after we get the uh, introduction from, you know, the real appeal of the podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, I'm snorting McSnorgerson Colette over here. That's what I've got to offer for you today. And on the topic of the table of offerings, we have an offering from one William Elmer, who we cornered. And he sent us an email. This was actually like a week and a half ago because we took last week off. Thank you, everyone, for letting us take last week off. You all got your Dick Fight Island podcast. I'm sure that was very good for everyone. Um, but from William Elmer to start this episode off, happy episode 227. Western Maryland is home of the future area code 227, nestled safely between Amsterdam and the Alexandria safe zone. Western Maryland is approximately 2,700 miles from Modesto. Fun facts. Jousting was the official sport of Maryland from 1962 to 2004, which makes sense because Maryland is home to the oldest living people with 48 people who are 114 or or older. Will. P.S. I hope we get some good Dick Fight Island action this week. Uh, We, you did. (laughs) We put it up after I got that email. um, And thank you. I think. Thank you. Thank you, Will. this I think that was the wire. I think yes. that was the. I think it's very coincidental because Will has been recently watching the wire, and that all takes place in Maryland. And so mm-hmm. he, the Hamsterdam reference is a season uh, three. Mm-hmm. God, what yeah. a show! We could do oh, a podcast about that. Oh yeah, I would love an excuse to rewatch that. I don't even know. Is it a state? It's is Boston. It <laughs> it's it's that's, Boston, right? That's a, that's Boston is Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Oh, never Which, mind. That's a state. That's yeah, a hell of a state. Okay, Maryland. Uh, witches. Salem, Massachusetts. Shit. Um, okay. <laughs> Mar- I always think of Maryland. I associate, I associate with Washington, D.C. for some reason. Yeah, because D.C. It? is in it. <laughs> so you're right. This is a comic podcast. It's where a bunch of buddies who work in a comic shop together. Pink flamingos. Gather to talk about pink flammies. <laughs> uh, my favorite pink flammy. Um, and sometimes we talk about manga, like Dick Fight Island. And I want to thank all of our listeners and Roman for allowing our episode 226.x to be one of our most successful podcasts yet. Um, for, for the listeners, we, we mentioned everybody, but we got this really cool book we talked about two weeks ago called Holler, super indie book from a guy named uh, Jeremy Massey. 
just like looks like little depressed boy super awesome nirvana references weed references it's like it was written for jeff loved it we ordered we couldn't get issues one and two anymore so i reached out to him he sent us autographed copies of issues one and two and i was like oh man cool we raved about number three on the podcast you know we're big fans thanks for helping us stock your books and he's like okay cool i'll make sure and listen to your podcast and that was two days after dick fight island went up <laughs> i went down to seattle yesterday to go hang out with my family my my sister's birthday my mom came down as well and she was like you know i came down and for the first time ever i was driving i thought it'd be fun oh, to shit. listen to your podcast <laughs> And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. You and Jeremy Massey are tuning in for our Dick Fight Island, you know, Roman and Jeff talk yaoi. Um, so I just, I'm glad that everyone encouraged us to talk about it. It was so well received. I'm glad that there are people finding the podcast through Dick Fight Island. I'm so glad that we built a platform that we could talk about pornography on. That is ba basically what the whole 31 years of Jeff has been about, so. Yeah, yeah. I'm, Hopefully it'll become a new thing and people will make other requests of porn. That would be awesome. <laughs> I've had so many times where I've like chatted with someone, a friend of mine is like, oh, you do a podcast? Oh, because I'll mention I'm about to do it. And like, yeah, I do. It's like, here's how you listen to it. And then it'll be an episode where we're talking about, <laughs> I don't know, like money shot or um, what was the one uh, safe sex? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's or like, white trees or. Yeah. But we do have a very special occasion. Um, we made it a point to bring Colette in this week for a, a week of the podcast that didn't have an ice cream man issue. <laughs> and we were, picking the, we were picking the books this week and Roman was like, we could talk about Ha Ha number five. And I was like, nah, 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 because I didn't want to give it away yet. But that's the other book written by Ice Cream Man. Yeah. And I think that we should just steer clear of W. Maxwell Prince this week because we've yeah. got Colette on. There's no need to talk about him. Oh, I didn't even notice. That's awesome. It is awesome. It's good to have you here on the non-Ice Cream Man anniversary week. And that brings us into the books that we're going to talk about this week, ladies and gentlemen, friends and foes, uh, and everyone in between. We're going to talk this week about X-Men number 20, and we're going to spoil the shit out of everything that we talk about. So take that. X-Men number 20, Strange Adventures number 10, The Blue Flame number one, Wonder Girl number one, Milestone Comics Presents number one heroes were born number four made in korea number one truth and justice number four and roman's going to talk about something called some strange disturbances and none of us know what that is or how it got into the store so thank goodness roman found it uncovered the gym blew on it dusted it off and found out that it was actually a gym and he's going to share it with all of us um does that oh i wanted to include as the final note of our intro, because we didn't do a podcast last week, a couple of those books in the rundown are books from last week. So enjoy a ride with us. It's going to be a big old, a big old podcast. It means Jeff's going to be secretly putting a five minute timer on things in an attempt to try and make sure we can get through them all. Mm -hmm. X-Men number 20, Jonathan Hickman and Mobili on art. Let's figure out a first name for that. So we're not just being rude. Uh, Francesco yeah. Mobili. I'm just really excited to talk about X-Men number 20 on this podcast right now because... Because last... it's an X-Men to be excited about for once? <laughs> yeah, X-Men 19 was the best issue of X-Men in the last, like, year. And then this mm -hmm. one was a lot better than that. Or at least... A, it, last one was very good. This one was also very good. I think the most exciting thing for me is that when House of X and Powers of 10 ended, I was so excited for several stories to continue moving forward and none of those really did we just got this sort of check-in on all these different series and different characters and new stories to be explored which i think is awesome because hickman wanted to create a platform for a bunch of stories to jump off of but like i've said i think we need a strong book to guide the direction of the overall x-men universe and we haven't had one and this one down to that cover of nimrod screaming at me with his smoky mouth and his <laughs> light-up eyes and uh it, he terrifies me so this just gets back to the stuff that i am loving. Colette, how are you riding on this book? I I very much was happy to read this. I really liked the last two. I had not read everything for a good while. I think I, I dipped out of the, even the main series at the start of um, uh, Ten of Swords and been very happy to get back into this. Um, there were just so many, like I, I, I was totally on the board in the beginning of After House and Powers when the main X-Men series was this like little like just seeding story and like, hmm, and this is something that's going to happen that's going to pull in and like, ooh, guess what? You'll get excited about this thing coming at some point and then nothing happened with it. So it's so nice to finally be 
seeing the follow-up to these stories and I loved 19 um yeah in that it was like so emotional and so character and then this one was so story Mm -hmm. and I like I they're kind of apples and oranges of both examples of the best kind of this is what it should be feeling like and yeah this was great yeah I I totally agree I this one mostly dealt with kind of following up with this thing from the end of House and Powers, which was Mystique and Destiny had had a relationship and Destiny can see the future and that Charles Xavier and Magento, Magneto, Charles <laughs> Xavier and Magneto um, were like, well, we can't have precogs on the island because they know that this entire thing is like a failed experiment. Like we know that all of this is for naught because mutants lose in the end. So they don't want Destiny to come back. And this is sort of following up on them stringing Mystique along by being like, do this stuff for us. And then, yeah, we'll bring Destiny back. And she's like, you got to do it. And like, it just paints them in a really negative light. Yeah. Well, and isn't it, wasn't it Moira's rule that no precogs on on Krakoa and specifically Destiny because she tortured her? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's probably absolutely Moira, Moira's rule. And what I loved about this was just, we haven't seen Moira in a hot minute. I think we've seen her mm-hmm. once since House and Powers. So it's been a year and a half since that story really has had much of a role. Mm-hmm. And yet it's the overlying tying. It, it's the God of this whole Krakoan world is Moira. Like she is the control of everything. And, and yet we haven't gotten to see her at all. But yeah. That was a relief. Roman, I know you love giant pink robots that have had the personality elements of them removed. What, where are you on this whole Hickman thing? It was part. Uh, I was surprised because I Nimrod's a character I never cared about, and this is a tragic story with um, what's her name on the the human Orcus Orcuses um, <laughs> platform spaceship and it's her ex-husband I, or husband I guess that was put in Nimrod and it's all he has to sacrifice himself it was all so sad mm-hmm. and yeah the stuff with Professor X and, and, and Magento who you know got his start in Rocky Horror Picture Show um, <laughs> they're so they're so bad I'd actually forgotten all that stuff about Moira and Destiny and because it was so long ago so thanks for reminding me of that because it helps explain why X and why 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 Chuck and Eric are so nasty in here everybody forgets how shitty Xavier actually I think we all just remember the cartoon and how Mm -hmm. kind and fatherly and then Patrick Stewart is just Mm -hmm. like you know everybody wants him to be their fantastic uncle they get to go live with but Charles, like, I mean, he wiped the minds of all the X-Men so they wouldn't remember that they left another team. That's interesting, because, yeah, he always, I guess he always was doing some dicky things right from the beginning. But uh, growing up with the, the Claremont Burn Austin issues, I never thought of him that the stuff he was doing is bad when he did that kind of stuff. I thought, oh, well, you know, it needed to be done for the good of the team and humanity and yada, yada, whatever. But. Even when yeah. Kitty Pride told you that Xavier was a jerk? That, that wasn't in that run, I don't think. When was that? I don't know. There's that really famous panel. It's just like all Kitty Pride, and she's pointing at the camera and it says, Professor Xavier is a jerk. And it's this like really famous. Wow. I guess it's not that famous because yeah, I, I just referenced I it to two it people who work at a comic <laughs> shop that are not. Um... I can't remember it. Okay. So never mind. Forget I said that. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to, like, there's this teaser for Inferno this fall in the back, and I'm like, I want to get really excited about that, but... uh, Isn't the fall, like, just uh, just recently we had the fall? Isn't the fall a ways away? Yes, it is, and also I'm like, well, but Inferno, like, how... Am I going to have to... Is it just an X, this X-Men book? Are we going to do a crossover again? <laughs> Are you going to give me again? more? Or like, what? I want to get excited, but... Uh. <laughs> it's a good point. Gala really needs to write the ship for what they're doing with X-Men, uh, you know, events. I think that yeah. it's, it's going to need to, because Ten of Swords was a bloated bloat factory. Um, but yeah, I love this issue. And I do think Nimrod is just like a horrifying, unstoppable. There's like an, when you're a kid and the first time you see Terminator, I guess you didn't see that at a kid because you guys are older than I am. 
you're both so old um but no not, not really <laughs> but yeah. but i mean i remember watching the first I terminator school. as like a five or six year old and being like this is very scary like he won't stop coming he just can't stop coming oh, I dick mean, Fight Island. he's like dick fight yeah. island <laughs> i mean i remember i didn't actually see the terminator movies until i was an adult um but that's a side <laughs> thing that's because i wasn't interested uh but nimrod like even in the cartoons scared me when i was young that whole concept of just the like always coming for you nothing can stop them like that's genuinely my nightmares that i have is creatures like that and i just love any time you can take a character that's just like a just a never never stopping evil like like what's evil about it is that it just can always regenerate Mm -hmm. and you actually give it a tragic relatable backstory to make you like i don't want to fucking have empathy (laughs) for nimrod's origin what the hell uh yeah i'm gonna give it i have three tens this week everybody and i'm giving a 10 roman sorry was i just putting something on your neck no no i just wanted to ask you guys because i have a question because you know my memory shot the the quote at the end that's uh, something moira that's a something moira said before uh, I think so, right? Isn't that from as as as? Chuck oh, Eric? yeah, that's yeah. that's something that Destiny was saying to oh. Mystique, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I said that I gave this a ten. What do you guys give this one? Um, I'll give it a nine. That's a pretty generous Roman score. I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this issue, even though I was confused by things because I didn't remember. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'd give it a nine too. I got a little mixed up in the beginning with the the then in Forge's lab and the now, mm. but then the catch up in the the credits page. I got a, but yeah, it was it was it was a fucking nine. It was good. And, um, <laughs> Strange Adventures number ten by Tom King, Mitch Garrett, and Evan Shaner. I think this is kind of a big deal because we got an idea about what's happening in this book now even mm-hmm. though throughout all of it i was like is it this is it this is it this and then we ended up with this idea so instead of me um belaboring that point does either one of the two of you want to tell us what we found out in this issue because i've been loving this book um i'm happy to to talk about it um so this is one of the, you know tom king loves to do a letter that's running through a whole book mm-hmm. <laughs> this was when he does it real good um and I love, so we're fo- following Alana all through going and doing like meeting with the troops and doing press and everything. And meanwhile, all the way through, we're seeing uh, or reading the letter that she got from Mr. Terrific uh, right before she left to go do everything that's explaining how he's finally figured out what's going on. And uh, it's all the basics and everything that he's learned about about the pics and um and then he starts spelling out how seeing her defending her husband and being that solid loving supportive person was what brought him to realize what was going on and that that adam strange is a fucking douche (laughs) and uh he sold out earth to save ran and uh the pics through the war on ran with knowing that he would let them conquer earth and gave up his daughter as collateral which has seemed pretty obvious most of the way through that the daughter was given up by by adam but but fucker gave up earth too and that daughter's just stuck with the picks right now and we're gonna see alana who i uh oh i don't want to like but i really like her but she's a fucking bitch i was bullshit but i was man yeah yeah i all, all of that was the, the revelation exactly and but even still through going through that i was there's some very interesting parts to highlight about this issue but i almost was still thinking like is alana the brains of this whole thing like is it adam strange that gave it up or was it alana who like seems like the more intel- like she like the whole time it's her she's strapping a jetpack on she's flying i'm getting this idea that like you seem like the bond villain hero behind this whole thing did you get that vibe at all? I mean, I your description I, of that was very good. So it seems like you've been tracking it pretty well. I didn't get the idea that he'd been given up the daughter until this issue. So, oh, I, I've I felt like 
because early on mr mr terrific there was a he's going through the like truths with his little mm-hmm. flying things and at one point one of them he was like adam strange's daughter is not dead and it was a truth um mm-hmm. but it was also a truth that alana believes that her daughter is dead okay okay um Nice, so that's nice. where the I think to me it's that she is the brains and she is a loving or she is a dedicated loving wife and she has been the brains for Adam based on a lie that is an unforgivable lie. And that's what I was to me what I was watching through this was her just like I've done all of this and my fucking daughter is with the picks my mortal enemy and like she i want to love her so much and then every so often we'll do a thing where she's like chuckling at adam shooting a pick in the head and like committing war crimes and stuff and that like oh it's amazing how well he's written this character that's so compelling and also just like oh fuck you i don't want to like you i'm just gonna say the, the one panel of we're winning and where it dissolves into blue the blue pencil line Oh yeah. And I was trying to think about why that was, but now I just feel like I came up with an idea of it, which is just that like, as you're depicting in that panel, it's hitting Adam Strange flying with Alana and she says, we're winning. And it's this moment of them realizing they're winning the war on Ran, but that's a fictionalization. That's a lie. They didn't win. They chose not to. So the way that we can depict fiction within this is by showing that it's an artist illustration. So it's like a blue line drawing and, She's seeing the bones of what's been going on, the the blueprints behind it. Yeah. Yeah, because for a while now, I've, I've been feeling like the Shainer ones were the the heroic myth, the mm-hmm. fiction. But, yeah, you um, mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah, so I really like that panel too, where where it, it kind of very obviously like drives at home. This was quite a, quite a spectacular issue. Because um, I've had the same thing where I, I've been thinking that Alana was the... Machiavellian mastermind behind things and because I haven't liked her like because she's been more than just the the alien queen the alien princess that she Mm -hmm. usually is in these stories Mm -hmm. but I also even now I also still like well yeah this incredibly douchey thing Adam did but was because he's not as smart as her was he backed into a corner is that why he did this I'm still willing to to like maybe have some sympathy for him Though he may not deserve it at all. And that's just a testament to King's writing. And you know, and you know, she's so much a part of why he would have made that decision too, because if he hadn't fallen in love and made Ran his home and had this other life there, would he have been willing to give up Earth to save it? No, he's saving his wife's planet for her. He's he's dedicated himself to that, but at this and that's totally tied into his connection with her and everything. But he also fucking gave up his daughter and the entire yeah. earth to do it. And yeah, fuck he, him. He comes yeah. out of it as a demo either way. Yeah. And, that, and that's a hell of a counterpoint to like his appearances recently, like in Superman comics, where where he's still very much the good, you know, the good all around every man kind of guys, buddies with Superman. It's like, oh my God. And you you your friends with Superman, you portrayed him too. <laughs> On that note, scores for this issue, I go nine. It's high up there, but it's it's a nine. Yeah. Um, God, I think I'm gonna gooey it. Ew, God, I can feel. I felt it on my lap when you put it there. I felt it on my <laughs> it, lap yeah, when you put it, it there. It, it got it. It was so super incredibly engaging on all these levels we talked about. And at the end of it, I was like, oh, like the last couple of pages, I was, I was anticipating. It's like, oh, my God, I, I kind of don't want to read the next issue because she's going to fucking eviscerate him. And I don't, <laughs> don't want to watch. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to gooey this shit, too. Oh, I, my God, you got yeah. gooey all over your shit. The, the, the panels of her putting on her makeup, getting ready, the the going to the bathroom the washing her face like i have never seen something that felt so familiar and so right like Mm -hmm. that's that's the the thing that put it over the top for me is so good story-wise and then just the depictions of her is so 
beautiful and perfect and just the expressions of her face in the fucking mm-hmm. mirror is it makes me crazy so we're gonna move on real quickly <laughs> to the blue flame number one from vault comics this one is by christopher cantwell with art by adam gorham and colorist mark michael or kurt michael russell not a ton to say about this one this is a new superhero book from vault which is cool because they don't typically do this this feels like it could have been an image book. It's like a sci-fi superhero deconstructed superhero book. But there's this weird flavor about it, which is that I don't really know what they're trying to say happened in this issue. So what I'm very interested in is Roman, um, mastermind of superhero comics. You've been reading them since I was in the womb. What what is this is he a, it started with a superhero narration then it cut to just everyday people being life or a superhero team that's just eats pizza together and then there's assassination at the thing and then it ties back into the beginning scene is the beginning a hallucination is none of it real what's going on roman can you explain the blue flame number one from vault comics to all of us i think oh man it, that's a good question because i i think the stuff in the beginning when he's on this alien planet and they're putting him on trial basically i think um happened maybe but yeah but then we go into kind of just his life on earth and he's just a regular blue collar guy that is very mechanically gifted i mean enough so that he apparently built a suit that he can take him into space unprotected and he can fly to another planet um but yeah he's got that blue flame juice and he's got these like a blue collar kind of what city are they in detroit sure massachusetts whatever yeah, they're Maryland? Somewhere, yeah, Maryland, yeah. And as they're just like a blue collar superhero team that's like trying to trying to make it and get some popularity, but then there's a shooter in the audience and and attacks them all and and then I'm not sure if he woke up on the other planet. I guess or where or he is it his fever you? dream while he's recovering from that, the shooting. Exactly. I, that's what I'm, I was wondering. I'm really I'm excited to keep reading a bit more of this to be able to find out because it wasn't confusing to me in a way that I am not interested. It's a, oh, I actually want to see how this plays out. Is this a time displacement? Is he, is when he was unconscious, did it send him to a different part of the, or is this just his hope or wish of what he could be like as a superhero? Yeah. Because while they're all buddied out getting pizza and worrying about who's spending what on costs of money and then, you know, he's got a romance he's working on. There's just this random three pages or four pages about people finding out they're pregnant with a baby. Like it, it, uh, I forget what I was going to say, but that's because I'm excited to be here with you folks. And I'm, you know what? I'm making a little bit harder cocktail than normal. So I'm sorry for the end of this podcast, everybody. Um, Django's not here, so I don't feel bad. Just worship. No, what I was going to say is that uh, his powers don't seem as superpower as they, while they're all, while there's other people around to share your view of it. But when it's just him alone, he's out sailing through space or meeting people. So I'm wondering, just like Colette said, is this a, is this some sort of fever dream of while he's in the hospital or is this um, a superhero story? And Colette, you saying that really kind of punched it into me. It's Chris Cantwell. He did she could fly it's probably like a weird head trip that he goes on to sort of feel a sense of importance where he doesn't have one otherwise but roman i can see i can see your shoulders and yeah maybe it is um it it kind of reminded me a little bit tonally a little flavor of uh uh the green lantern stories in the Mm -hmm. period i think with neil adam green arrow they were doing their road trip across america that is going to be some kind of like to the heart of the hero type of hard story. traveling heroes yeah and and i'm very i'm very intrigued because yeah i don't i don't know which it is yet but i really enjoyed this issue and yeah chris cantwell i mean she could fly uh the recent dr doom series oh the dr doom um, book yeah the um there was another marvel series he was doing oh he's doing iron man still oh yeah you're um, right yeah, and I'm I'm really enjoying all of his books so far, so I'm definitely going to continue with this. So it's it's hooked me, but Colette, what did you? How did you enjoy it? Um, I mean, I I kind of want to reflip through it just because I packed it in between some other books, and I was trying to rush to get stuff read. But I thought I, I enjoyed it better than a lo- I was expecting to, and there were just some really 
nice construction aspects to this but like even just the first page the the title bits mm-hmm. the the You're lettering right. is great and you were so the flow of that lettering i had it, to read it like three times with to appreciate and you had to slow down so to good. do it but it wasn't a troublesome thing it was just no. like well this is some fun this is some fun 70s like exploratory just like the way that you can use lettering i yeah point, i forgot about that yeah it was awesome and just the whole space scenes in the beginning are really beautifully done and the switch to the the our world and i this thing would seem like kind of like a throwaway book when I first start, picked it up, but it's, I think it's got a lot of a meat to it that we haven't quite gotten to see yet. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm going to give it, I'm going to go 8.5, maybe eight before the conversation, but I think 8.5 after coming out of it, which is again, Jeff's just Mark for a really, really good comic. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it uh, 9.5. Oh, I'm going to go eight. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really good stuff, you guys. <laughs> it's been a weird week for Jeff, and he keeps talking like a goddamn bear. Like a goddamn bear. <laughs> oh, hey. I meant to bring Saul up here. Oh, Salisbury, I love Saul. <laughs> oh, sweet Salisbury. Colette, yeah. <laughs> Wonder Girl, a last week book that is by Joelle Jones, who I just feel <laughs> like the two of you are sisters or best friends, or like you guys used to hang out all the time, but you've gone through the last couple of years where you're just working a little bit too much. You don't get to hang out as much. I asked Braden last week when we were sorting books together, I held this up and I was like, do you think Joelle Jones just knows somehow deep down in her that there's a collect shaped hole in her life that like her, I think her so. comic book sister soulmate is, is somewhere out there wishing that we could bond. Fuck. I love her comics so much. So you like this so, one then? Yes. Yes. This was fantastic. I didn't it, read like, it. I, Oh man, it's fun. It's, well, you know, Wonder Girl is, I mean, we're, we'll end up calling her Wonder Girl. It's a, a little flashback to when she was little with her uh, group of Amazons fighting. I don't know enough about any of this. I guess Hera's minions or something. I don't know, but sure. um, she's just like trying to be a little badass. And her, I think her mom gets killed because of it and jump to the future. And she's on a plane getting ready to go to brazil to uh to discover her heritage and um and then we flashed to like all the different amazon groups and hera and all these people and they're like oh fuck the chosen one or whatever is going to her home she can't be there and everyone wants to go kill her and stuff and she's just touring around and is a hero saves people she's fucking hot she's cool and i love her yeah her i could read anything written by anyone i can't stand if she was doing the art i i would still just drool over it her work is so gorgeous it just makes me crazy and women that are strong and powerful and beautiful and confident in their bodies and uh, and just yeah it makes me happy and i don't need to keep like drooling all over this we only have five minutes and i've probably already gone over it i don't even have that much to say about the story Roman was relatively vocal on the Yara Floor, Joelle Jones stuff just from Future State as it came through because he had read all of it. I read the first issue of it. Maybe I read the first two issues of like that that character, but I just love the art so much. And I love what a like how how fallible that character is while still being super strong and not feeling weak for those fallibilities. Mm-hmm. So like, do you give it a 10? Oh, you're talking to me. I thought you were asking Roman. <laughs> no, I know Roman. I know, I know what Roman does in his sleep. I and I'm monitoring the clock. I'm <laughs> so, I'm good. <laughs> so I cut him out. I mean, I want to give everything that Joel Jones does a 10 because I just am that much of a giant stupid fangirl about it. But if I'm actually being a professional who reads comics for a living, uh, I'm gonna give it a 9.5. Um, Roman, do you remember a score for that book? And I'm sure you read it last week. Uh, oh yeah, I did read it. Um and I don't remember the details, but I'm sure I would give it at least an eight and a half, maybe a nine, because I know I like the art. I know it was fun with her on the plane. Look mm. at this siren on the back page. Come oh, on. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, the art oh. is beautiful. 
Uh, Roman, we've got Milestones Presents. And this book came out this week as a giant oversized issue that's teasing all of the sort of new comics coming out of the rebirth of the Milestone universe from the DC Comics. And Django and I were like, this looks awesome, but this is also another like giant comic book. And DC just keeps pumping out 80 to 100 page comic books. And at some point I had to start being like, Batman Black and White came out. I'm just going to read the ones I want. So we were like, what do we do? And Django said very intelligently, Roman is going to read this issue excitedly. And then you came upstairs several minutes later and you said, oh, Milestone Presents. <laughs> Roman, how was Milestones Presents? Well, you know, it's a milestone that they're back. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Um, you dog. It, it was pretty good. I mean, I, I really liked the, um, the fact that in bringing back the Milestone universe i almost said imprint but it was never actually an imprint of dc it was its own separate publishing venture that d i I don't know the details but dc had like the kind of the avenue of publication but they didn't own any of the characters and they didn't like they had separate editorial they did they couldn't you know have any influence on editorially and it's so cool that originally in that universe the event that gave everyone their powers, um, I think they just called it the Big Bang, was just this event that happened. And now in this redone one, what I like is that the Big Bang happens during a big uh, Black Lives Matter protest and the cops are coming down on them and all that. And in the midst of all that, this, for we don't know why, this event happens and people like, like Virgil gets his powers as static and and that's where the milestone universe starts so all of these upcoming series are going to be spinning out I, I think it's cool that they have instead of just saying like hey you remember static like hey check this out i like that they're creating a new origin point for this universe i also didn't realize that it was its own separate universe originally yeah and then slowly over years after they stopped doing their comics static and a couple other characters showed like static showed up in titans one of the titans comics but now they're kind of i guess restarting that all again um and it was it was a good preview issue i mean it's a bunch of different creative teams the the teams of each of the different books that's coming up uh, just introducing their characters so there's a couple choppy parts um a couple transitions that were were kind of awkward but overall it was cool. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see Static again. I'm excited to see see uh, Hardware, and I think the Blood Syndicate's going to be coming back. And I really liked them. The new version of Zombies coming back. Uh, it was a fun book. It was, and it's an, an important book. They're going to have Icon and Rocket Icon as their Superman, basically. Um, but he's got this sidekick who's human, and already in this you can tell they're doing a lot of social commentary and because he's alien he sometimes doesn't realize that that um he's just kind of obtuse to the to stuff we're dealing with in society now because it's all alien to him and um, like one of them is done by dennis cowan and sinkevich right yeah yeah i forget so like they're bringing great artists on board to like you know like make you want to read it which is fantastic i knew one of them i have a copy here to read i didn't get to you know a third of my stack and that's in there still so um but i i did appreciate the artists they had on board yeah and a lot of these artists and right i mean they're the creative teams from the same series originally when milestone first around oh, shit so Sinkiewicz was all over back then i just didn't know yeah him and him and dennis cohen were working on milestone books back then so this is pretty exciting. I'm, I'm, it's going to be cool to see how they brought back Holocaust, this great villain. The linked up stories in here, I give a, I'm going to do one of these. I give a nine, nine and a half, but the overall event and the fact they're bringing back these characters with these, these creators, I give a 10 because it's, it's, it's damn cool. Can I talk about a little bit of Jeff Gooey? Yes, please do. Now, I love Roman- Jeff Gooey. I'm sure Roman read this, but Colette, if I could gooey in your direction for a second. <laughs> Did you read Heroes Reborn number four? I have not read any of them yet. And that's a totally fine thing. <laughs> I meant to, and I forgot to grab one the first week it came out. 
and then the next week I was like, oh wait, this is weekly shit. I even haven't got, and then I, yeah, I just haven't gotten built, any of it yet. Built into my explanation for this is that I think we mentioned it at issue one, but Heroes Reborn is a Marvel comic and it comes out once a week, which means a month before comics come out, I get the opportunity to adjust my order numbers a little bit through a thing called the FOC. Usually a comic comes out once a month. So having a month lead time means that I can adjust my orders for issue number two, the week that issue number one came out. But when Marvel chooses to do a weekly comic series, it means I can't adjust my numbers at all until after like, four issues have come out. So these weekly comic book series are really hard for comic stores to sell, sell and stock because you need to do a, a sort of profit and loss look at who can I guarantee sales for, who is how many people are going to be selling it off the shelf. And this book was pitched as a Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis book to everybody. Ed McGinnis is not a huge artist in our store. Uh, Jason Aaron is a pretty big writer. But what I what is so goofy, everyone, is that I just was like, okay, here's a weekly comic book. I got to lock in my numbers early and then stick by them. And what they did really uniquely this time is that they have been juggling the artists. Every issue has had the main story as Jason Aaron written and then an artist of some, some of his choosing and then a backup by Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis. Issue three was a good artist. I forget who it was, but issue four is entirely James Stokoe. It is a Jason Aaron written story that is entirely done by James Stokoe. And it's probably the best Stokoe I've ever seen. That's crazy. I wow. said it. I think I think I stand by that. I think it's better than Orphan of the Five Monsters, better than Orkstain. I think it is the best James Stokoe I've ever seen. And... He colored himself, which he does when he's got the time. And a Stoko thing that I always I see in his body of work, and I'm always like, I don't know if it works, is like the rainbow hue color palette. Colette, I'm going to show an image to you real quickly here. I think that when people show a rainbow color gradient from like red to you know blue, that rainbow spectrum, it's a gorgeous thing, but it doesn't ever fill a narrative hole. I think it's really hard to make rainbow color work story-wise mm -hmm. and stoko tries to use it all the time like orc stain has like you know crazy like red to yellow to green gradients and shit and it's like that's cool you're an acid head <laughs> but like this is like he does it all the time in here and it's <gasps> heroes reborn so he's like trying to do this thing where they're doing a justice league reimagined within the marvel universe and this prism specter guy that they've created is basically the green lantern stand-in and i just have to imagine that jason aaron was like all right stoko here's the bones of this story do whatever you want and it is the most psychedelic rainbow spectrum acidic highly detailed i've never Django texted me like four days ago and he's like, I don't know. I don't know what to say, Jeff. Just like Stoko, Stoko for president. I don't know. Whatever he wants to do is fine. But he said Stoko for president. I said it for the first issue of Orphan and the Five Beasts, which is that this is the first Stoko book where the art is amazing and I can follow the whole story. This is the first like one and done single issue that I think is a greatly written story and uh, the art just serves it perfectly. I just babbled on Roman. Sorry, I ate your time up. I think this was an incredible, <laughs> incredible issue. This was my second number 10 of the week. This, yeah, this is an amazing issue. I mean, this is, this single issue is right up there with Silver Surfer Black um, and just how beautiful and crazy and, <laughs> and psychedelic it is. And it's so perfect. Like you were saying, the, the rainbow hue captions because it, the issue is narrated by Dr. Spectrum, who's, you know his whole thing is the color spectrum the it's the most wild version of rock raccoon we've seen and i know the fact that on the first page at the bottom the stoko draws a bunch of aliens and they are established aliens in the marvel universe but stokoized and it's so cool <laughs> um oh man i'm so like i haven't yeah. heard anybody talk about any of this book yet 
And so it's just been kind of like, oh, I'll get to that. And now I'm so fucking frustrated with myself that well, I'm not like, I want a copy right here, right now. I want to be reading that so badly. I'm frustrated with myself because what I meant to add on that big story thing about how to order, order all these quantities and order, I didn't realize it was a Stoko book. So I ordered this book the same as I ordered issue number three and issue number five, assuming they were all Ed McGinnis issues but it's yeah. changed the art every issue. And we have a lot of Stoko fans in our store because he's, I think, one of the most talented artists working in comics, bar none. <laughs> it's just so creative and innovative. And it's never, it's stuff with Groot that's never been done before. That's just amazing. And I think that's the thing about Stoko to me is that not everyone can like rein in his creativity correctly. I think you just have to say like, here's the three things I want done in this issue. And now you do your thing. I mean, the last page, spoiler, um, rendition of an of a idol of Mephisto is the coolest looking Mephisto we've ever seen. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's bonkers off the wall, 10, 10, 10 stuff. Oh, yeah, me, so. definitely, definitely 10. Colette, you will too. love it. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. And, and the series overall has been good, too. All right, my friends, do you want to talk about Made in Korea? I think that was last week or maybe this week. So this week. This week book? Yeah. Please share it with me. I hadn't read that one yet. Uh, Roman, would you care to or do you want me to? Um, I want to hear your lovely voice. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, so Made in Korea by uh, Jeremy Holt and George Shaw uh, is... Huh. <laughs> Okay, words. I have words in my head. Uh, <laughs> just like forgot what I was looking at for a second. Um, this is like classic weird sci-fi set in a world where uh, we've got, we slowly, I guess, ugh. yeah, fix, fix my, my bad job of trying to figure out how to talk about a thing. Um, set, set in a world set in a world uh so we start off just kind of it's that you're thrown in and we're seeing a programmer who's finally figured out some crazy coding and uh um his friend tells him oh i hope you didn't do it on company time and so he's runs back to go and try and retrieve it and uh, uh and then we jump to uh middle america and this couple going to uh go to kind of a baby shower kind of a first birthday for a uh uh what's called a proxy and it, it, we slowly learned that people can't have children anymore in this world it sounds like and um they go to these rich friends house to meet their new uh robot child and um and then we jump back and forth between them and the uh the programmer who steals his his program and seems to upload it into uh a proxy body and this poor couple who went and or not poor but this couple that uh went and saw the other proxy end up ordering their own and they get the one that uh has the new programming spliced in and uh and we're gonna find out from there what's gonna happen yeah because um, yeah because yeah, when they wake up this proxy she uh automatically starts jumping around and hiding doing things that proxies aren't supposed to do apparently um so they know there's some kind of mystery here and i really and, like the fact oh go ahead oh and just more much more naturally what a uh a child who woke up for the first time in existence as like a seven-year-old or something <laughs> might actually do yeah 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 because normally i guess you know they're just programmed to wake up and automatically be your perfect little child um I really like the premise of this. I, I love the fact that whatever code this guy figured out this problem he's been working on, that he was so happy to do it. And then his coworker just casually mentions that, oh, well, if you did it on, you know, the company computer at work, you know, the company owns it. And he's like, oh, shit, <laughs> that's right. I got I to gotta go retrieve, retrieve this. Um, there's some good mysteries. I like this this whole setup it's uh the proxy thing it of course reminded me of jack kirby's uh storylines in the original omac where they you could order your own like companion that comes assembled in a you know disassembled in a crate you put together your your male or female companion and all that and but this girl 
the proxy. I love her bedroom. Oh my God, the art. Oh God, that bedroom <laughs> is a magical dream. Show me. Show me. Um, it's it's a loft, but they have book racks oh. lining the ceiling. Oh, so wow. yeah, it's it's pretty beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I am. No. Um, I did not expect to like this book so much. This is not. I I, I grabbed it knowing I was going to be on the podcast. It's not really the style of art I usually go for. I was like, oh, I'll read this, and it was way more engaging in a way that I thought it was so much more um, emotional like the watching the two different couples with getting their new proxy and that seeing that the the did a really good job of expressing that genuine like parental excitement or that that joy someone would and nervousness someone would be having through adopting a child and having them come home or or having a baby but with these these uh robotic children and and it, i felt it a whole lot more than usually a story where you're being told that people can't have kids so they have these robot children now and um it it was much more of an emotional telling of this kind of a story than I was expecting. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And there was, I really liked the contrast with um, our two main characters and they, they get the proxy of this, this little girl that's got the implant in her. Mm -hmm. But the reason that they decided to do that is they visit some, well, I won't say friends, some people they know (laughs) that are a rich couple and they're having that, baby shower whatever it is mm-hmm. for the proxy they got and just the dialogue when i can't remember the character's names the good the good dad will say mm-hmm. ask the other one the rich dude oh how's fatherhood going and and he's just it ain't that thing ain't my kin i'll be damned if i admit that to bonnie what she wants she gets period it's just a whole they got this proxy for a status symbol and, you know and that guy doesn't even care about this living being that, that they are now going to raise mm-hmm. i didn't I'm just totally misinterpreted what this book was when it came in. Um, I thought it was more of like a slice of life story about like, I mean, the, the yeah, the title made in Korea made me think it was sort of like a adopting Western cultures as an immigrant or you know, like a slice of life book type mm-hmm. of thing. And then Jenga read it and was like, Oh, this is fantastic. And it made me really want to read it because it sounds like it's, there's a really rich world that's built around it. I'm curious what the two of you gave it. Cause I know Django gave it a really high score as well. Well, not as well. I don't know what your scores are. I just know that Django gave it a high score. <laughs> I'd um, give it an eight. I think it was it was really good. And there's actually a um, uh, a wordless story in the back that was actually my favorite part of the whole thing. That's just a little story of a girl growing up with a proxy and the the switch around of their relationship. It, it was lovely. Was it the same writer artist duo? No, it's a different oh. artist. It's okay, this cool. like nice muted. Oh wow, that's gorgeous. story. And yeah, yeah. yeah in fact, it's really fact, good. Yeah, in fact, it's he's the writer and artist, and he's not involved in the first story at all. Yeah, yeah. I um, get the feeling they're going to have little stories like that at the end of each with a different artist doing it. Oh, uh, I'm going to give this. I'll give Made in Korea. Oh God, can I give another gooey? Oh, I'm I'm, I'm gonna, dropping three this episode because it's two weeks of comics. Okay, so. well I, well I'm just doing this week's comics, but I don't know how many I've dropped already. But I'll give it a ten. I like I'll that. I'll give it Roman. an eight. I can smell that. It's salty. I like that. <laughs> friend of the salty show and dear personal friend of mine, Ryan Russell, um, proffered, and I can't remember if I brought it up on the podcast yet, but he said that episode two fifty is us eating gooey duck on the podcast, and I think that's probably a good a good thing i think we should got to get some we got to find a place locally where we can eat some Wait, gooey duck two, episode 250 but we're at 277 aren't we no we're at 227 oh okay <laughs> i was astounded by a comic book i read this week and i brought it up and roman was like oh i guess i read that comic i'm excited why you think it's a 10 which is, you know, the most defeating thing you can hear in the world from a person who's read every comic in the world. Two of the tens <laughs> I've dropped so far were from this week's comics, but I read all of last week's comics as well. But Truth and Justice number four. Now, what is interesting about this series is that each issue has been written and drawn by different people. The first issue, Roman gave a 10 to, and it was the Vixen issue. 
Um, and I think he also liked issue number two a lot, but we didn't spend a whole section on the podcast about it. And I don't know what happened with three, but what's interesting about number four is this issue entirely about the red hood written by a person. I don't know. Their name is Jeff Trammell. And the art was by Rob Gilroy, who did all of the art and chew and wrote and drew farmhand, which was coming out recently. This issue was so good. Okay. Roman, if you don't remember how good this issue was, it starts out with like Jason Todd being Jason Todd doing Jason Todd stuff. I'm a rough, gruff boy and I like to rough and tumble around, but it's drawn by the Chew guy. So it's gritty and gross and then weirdly cartoony as well. And that's very good. But the thing that's the most interesting is he's like, man, there's so many rough and tumble grit and gruffy boys out here. And I just don't know. I don't love all of them. Some of them are good. Batman's a good guy. There's another, but there's no, never been anybody better than my buddy from the streets when I was a boy on the streets. And I don't really remember his name too good right now as Jeff, <laughs> um, but he died or something early on. Anyway, yeah. it's the whole Fern- thing is Fernando. told Fernando. Anyway, <laughs> As Jason Todd's out there exploring the mystery of his missing buddy, Fernando, he gets stabbed by who? Who? The Scarecrow. The Scarecrow gets him, Colette. So Jason Todd in his red helmet attire drawn by Rob Gilroy, who is both spooky and funny, gets stabbed by the Scarecrow. And he, the Scarecrow's like, man, you didn't feel that? And, and Jason Todd's like, no, I didn't feel that. I guess maybe because I've died fear doesn't mean anything to me and he punches him out or something and scarecrow goes down and then jason todd's about to gun him down with a big old gun thumb is what i call it and he gets (laughs) batman boomeranged out of his hand he gets the bat boom out of his hand and he's like what i was gonna shoot this guy i guess but the old batman showed up he's took my took my jollies away from me because, you know, Jason Todd's always on the verge of wanting to kill someone, I guess. But as soon as Batman shows up and starts talking to him, you get the vibe that Batman is saying not true things. And every time you see him, he's got a giant spooky bat around him. So what we learn is that Jason Todd has, I, I know my internet connection's going a little bit, so I hope you guys can hear me. But what we learn very clearly through the bulk of this issue is that Jason Todd is losing his shit on scarecrow serum but he doesn't realize it and he's like buried alive and he's not buried alive and they bring him out and nightwing shows up and dick grayson's a cocky asshole and he's like balancing on gravestones upside down and batman keeps saying shit that's always really mean to him and tim drake shows up and he's just too fancy and cool and pretty and the joker (laughs) shows up and the jokers i don't know He's on this fear gas and he's reliving these moments and these people keep coming up that are important to him, but he's not perceiving them correctly. And then they jump without like reckless abandon to a different person showing up, acting incorrectly. The realization happens further into the issue that Jason Todd has been affected by the fear gas than he realizes it. So the middle third of the issue is him not, realizing what's going on and thinking he didn't get affected by it i just think it's some of the best like psychedelic nightmare dream storytelling i've ever read in a comic book that the weird sense of simultaneously being grounded in an event and then also not being able to make sense of it at all is a really difficult thing to convey um it's very much like dream logic but it exists and you can live and experience that and not everyone has but if you have um this just rang really really true and he kind of like works through it all at the end and then all the while all of that kind of like weird mystic dark storytelling is being told by rob gilroy who is this inherently kind of psychedelic artist because like chew is a very dark serious story but it has this very lighthearted, cartoonish element to it but it's almost entirely brought through the art because I think if a different artist did chew, it would have just been a hard, like hardcore crime procedural. Um, So there's just like, you can't ever quite put your finger on the pulse of what this book is doing. And uh, Justin and Roman and I on our Batman and quarantine podcast have all been kind of like big Jason Todd apologists. 
this just does maybe some of the best Jason Todd character work I've ever read, especially like when he starts coming out of the gas and the actual Batman shows up and then like just kind of subtly is Batman. It's difficult, I think, to make Jason Todd a really sympathetic character. And I think this made him a very holistically identifiable and sympathetic character. And I'm, I'm really blown away with it. And that was my five minutes alone. I'm sorry to everybody on Truth and Justice number four. It was my 10 of last week. Thank you for listening to that. Love you all. See you next week. Nope, sorry, just kidding. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, that was fantastic. I fucking love That's my favorite kind of Jeff right there is just, uh, narration just, like that. Just that stream of bam, bam, bam. Well, make me happy. halfway through that explanation, my connect. I got the notification yeah. from Zoom that my internet connection was unstable and both of your images were frozen. So I was like, oh, fuck, maybe this isn't, maybe I just lost <laughs> everything. So cool. So then Roman, before we get out of here, there's a book called Some Strange Disturbances that I must have ordered at some point. It came into the store. It didn't come in on our regular Tuesday shipments. Somehow you were there. The the Romstadt interface intercepts all. How was what is some strange disturbances? What is what is this? How was this? Yeah, I didn't I didn't see it come in, but I came in, I think, on Thursday to drop off some books and and I happened to see it on the shelf. Hmm. Um, I don't know how it got there. Yeah, we have two copies. It's a little taller than a regular. No, no, it's the same size as a regular comic, but it's... Who put it out? Uh... That's a good question. Where You've worked here longer than any on this of thing? us. I know. Well, it's hard. Um, Headless Shakespeare Press. Okay, perfect. I get that. They put a lot of good stuff out. <laughs> it starts off with... Uh... <sighs> This little kid, his mom's being hauled off to the madhouse Then, in the past. And then in 1895, that kid has become basically a kind of a medium. He's having a seance, trying to, to contact a dead girl. Um, and he meets up with the other main character, who's a, a singer in a choir traveling around the world. Um, and we slowly, and she's, she's a black woman. Uh, we slowly find out that the medium is a closeted homosexual. Um, they get involved in one of those rich aristocrats that he's put his son in a sanitarium and, and his, him and his wife are freaking out because their son is, they, they're having him commit, committed saying he's insane because, you know, horror of horrors, he says he's really a woman. Um, and this is a horror book. It's a mystery horror book because there's also some ghosty type stuff. But the main horrors are the societal things, uh, the, you know, the stuff this black woman has to deal with. I, I didn't know from this issue there was actually a thing called human zoos, where at first I thought it was mannequins. But no, they were actually like black people and, and other POC put on display mm -hmm. so white London can go look at them. And gawk at them. So the real horrors are the societal things, and especially these wow. three main characters, the gay man and the black woman and the transgender person, have to deal with because they're all deemed insane and criminals and you know, less than. And it's just an intriguing as hell story. Um wow. <laughs> it's it's black and white. There's the supernatural stuff, there's some kind of weird rat queen person thing made all of rats. Um and it is just cool. It is just so cool. I, I, apparently, it's going to be a regular series. It says it's to be continued in some strange disturbances, the lunchroom under the arch. And it's it's a thick book. It took me like two and a half sittings to get through readings because it's 60 with the back matter. It's 62 pages because there's some great back matter with links to different historical stuff and research that the writer did to to do the story and the things that they learned doing that's the story. not a roman book i oh at yeah all. yeah <laughs> yeah and the writer the writer lives in seattle the artist is argentinian um the two artists one is argentinian the other is somewhere in latin america i think 
So, and it's a $10 book. It's 64 uh-huh. pages. So it's three issues worth of content. So that price point checks out. Um, I think Roman said we only got two of them. So that yeah. sounds interesting to you. Like, it sounds yeah. like it's really well done, but it's the kind of thing that is not printed in large number. So I, I hope that people scoop those up. Just the packaging on this comic, because it's it's square bound. And I don't know what the material is on the cover, but it feels fantastic and it's sturdy and my, my toxic flesh doesn't, <laughs> doesn't dissolve the ink. And I, I don't want you guys to feel this book because I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it's just beautiful and, and, and it's, it's, it's sturdy and it's-, it's Make sure we spooky. feel it, but also my toxic flesh is the best <laughs> industrial album name I've ever had for an album. So I'm going to start working on that cool. in a minute here. Roman, what do you give that book score-wise? Oh, I definitely give it a 10. Dude. Another gooey. So many 10s this week. Colette. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think you gooed on anything. Do you? I did. Strange Adventures. Okay. never mind. You gooed. Okay, cool. Cool. Oh, listen. Oh God. The three of us, as we end every podcast. Friends, it's Jeff. It's it's Jeff post moment coming back in, back in time. Thanks for being patient with the episode coming up late um as you we had alluded to previously in the episode jeff's internet or probably my internet uh just just kind of done falls apart here at the end so in instead of having an awkward bit of me talking to kind of clipping in and out bits of roman and colette i'm i'm just here to say uh we'll we'll see we'll see you next next time on the pod perfectly acceptable podcast i bet music's playing right now i'll make music play right now thanks for joining us that week colette that you're the best um sorry sorry about the internet it's it's been an ongoing i love you bye